This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good afternoon. My name is Brian Topher, Principal Architect of Topher Architecture, and you are listening to New Books Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network dedicated to architecture and its publications. If you have any suggestions on authors who would love to hear me speak with next, feel free to send me an email at btopher at topherarchitecture.com. Today's guest is Antoine Pecan to talk about his book, The Materiality of Architecture. Antoine is the G. Ware Travelstead Professor of the History of Architecture and Technology at Harvard University's Graduate School of Design. Thank you very much for being here with me today, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Brian. So before we begin, can you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Uh, Yes. Well, as you may gather from my accent, I come from Europe, from France. (laughs) I studied science and engineering, then architecture, and ended up, uh, you know, becoming an historian, an historian of architecture and the city. And and I moved to Harvard, uh, you know, something like uh, 15 years, 20 years ago, almost now, (laughs) where I've been teaching since uh, then. Great. And so I figured we'd just dive right in. So... I, th- I thought we could start with the idea you have mentioned that there's this trio of matter, material, and materiality, and that does seem to kind of tie into the overall theme of the book. And so I know it's a bit of a broad question. I was wondering if we could start there and you can kind of walk us through the th- how that relates to the theme a little bit. Yes, sure. Um, so matter, material, materiality. Matter is actually the most general uh, term, you know, uh, something that is that corresponds both to very concrete but also very abstract experience. Matter is, you know, both something we experience every day, but also an abstract notion. Nothing is more difficult actually than to define than matter. Uh, materials, it's matter that is already imbued with properties. You know, iron has definite properties, so has concrete. So has brick and uh, materials. It's a matter that is already closer to human use because it has properties which correspond very, very generally to possibilities for humans to use it. And finally, 
materiality, which is the central notion in the book, is the way we relate to the physical world, uh, including, you know, masses of materials, more generally, you know, the way we uh, relate to things that are tangible, things we can touch, we can experience, uh, etc. So materiality, for me, is a relation. It's not a proper, it's not something that exists independently of humans. It's actually about the relation that humans have with things they can touch, they can experience. And for me, one of the core aspects of architecture is that it has to do with this experience of matter and materials that I call materiality. Great. And so speaking of the idea of, you know, what humans can touch and observe, you make the case that the some of the basic, I guess we'll say, pieces of architecture are always based on human relation. I think you mentioned proportions and the idea of tectonics, et cetera. And so one case you make is that even though, you know, we have the same bodies and amount, the same amount of limbs as people from, you know, 100 years ago, there's a, there's a difference in what sensations I'm feeling versus somebody who 100 years ago did. Could you walk us through that a little bit? Sure. Uh, well, I, I tend to define myself as a reasonable uh, constructionist. What I mean by that is that I don't deny that part of our experience of the world as humans does not depend from historical and cultural condition, you know, uh, but there are other parts of it which are dependent upon, you know, our tools or machines, what we believe in, etc., etc. So let me take a couple of examples. Of course, gravity, for example, is something uh, that is uh, that doesn't depend from uh, you know from uh, to, uh, from the historic situation in which we are, but you know to take another example, take acceler- take speed and acceleration. You know these notion before the advent of a mecha- of a mechanically driven society were probably not as evident as they are for us today. So take also for example vision. You know, vision uh, in the age of microscope began, become, and telescope began to be something different as it was before. So my point is to say that actually part of the relation we have to, with the physical world is actually constructed, constructed through, uh, you know, or technology or science, but also I mentioned beliefs. For example, you know, for many centuries, uh, you know, humans believed that, you know, you could see miracles all around, etc. For example, in the 19th century, of, uh, you know, there were a number of people who believed that you could see ghosts and even photograph them. So, so that's something that is not as common today, uh, a belief not as common today. So, you know, what we believe also plays a role and mingles with our experience of the world. Interesting. And so you had mentioned, you know, a big change being the idea of mechanical and even computer systems. And so, you know, I was, we're going to jump around, of course, towards the end of the book, you do mention something I think a lot of us in the field are familiar with, and that is the immense effect that the computer and digital age is having on architecture. And so, of course, your book makes the case that it affects materiality. And so I'd love to hear your more thoughts on that. Well, thank you, Brian. 
yeah, that's the same. Actually, I wrote this book at the intersection of two enduring interests of mine. You know, one is, you know, history of construction. I've done a lot of contribution to history mm-hmm. of construction. And the other is the study of the digital and, you know, the, the kind of consequences that the digital had upon architecture. So one of my central idea is that digital culture is not synonymous with a dematerialization. Because actually, we've never been so interested in the material world, in the sensation, in colors, in textures, etc. But it's a different type of relation to the material world. Uh, Something quite evident, for example, we don't see exactly in the same way in the digital age as we used to. You know, for example, we used to, we are more and more accustomed to zoom and de-zoom to we, uh, you know, the codes of vision have changed, just like they change at the Renaissance with the invention of the perspective. Also take hearing, you know, with, a div- with digital music, you know, we are accustomed to a certain relation to sound, which is different to what reigned before. And take a lot of other aspects. In some ways, the digital is has reformatted or sensorium. It's a different relation. It's a different relation we have with the physical world. With a, a diff, it has reshaped some of our senses. So not to say again that you know everything has changed, but a few substantial things have changed. For example, you know it's not a coincidence if ornament has become again so important, but ornament understood as, for example, strongly related to question of textures, because the computer has enhanced, for example, our capacity to understand, to probe, to test textures in architecture. Right, and so you know, and so of course, not just digital uh, production and documentation has increased, but materials themselves you've mentioned have become significantly, you know, as you said, there's more materials being made, there's smart material, there's structural glass that does things it couldn't do before. You, however, make the case that with all these new materials, there is still kind of this nostalgia for more, you can't see me doing air quotes, traditional materials. Yeah, I I think, you know, strangely, you know, uh, you know, technological and cultural change is always accompanied by effects of nostalgia. Take, for example, you know, I mentioned sound and music. You know, why is it that, you know, we're so interested to hear the creaking of vinyl? How do you say vinyl? Uh, you know, disc of old. You know, the pressed disc, etc. Right. So we have the nostalgia of different experience, experience from the past, etc. So this is true that, you know, we are, it's not the first time that we have this kind of nostalgia. For example, you know, mechanization in the 19th century was accompanied by a formidable nostalgia of craftsmanship. And this was, for example, a leading theme in for a theorist like John Ruskin. In, in England. So the digital age, yes, we are able to do a lot of new things. We're able in some ways to compose our materials just like you compose a piece of music, etc. And at the same time, we have always the nagging feeling that some authenticity may be about to be lost. And uh, great. And you uh, in, in a previous chapter, again, I know jumping around, you make the you know the chapter uh, you call it animation and materiality, and so you make the case that architecture is kind of it has this tension. I think you say that you know 
it's the solid object that doesn't communicate, but we want it to animate. And I'm, I'm sure I'm simplifying that a little bit. Feel free to correct me. And so the question I have is, you know, with all these new materials and this, you know, this digital production, do you feel like we're more successful in accomplishing this idea of animating a building or are we still in the same dilemma that we've always been? It's a very good question and a complicated issue. In the book, there, there is also a chapter on language in which I yes. argue that part of the complexity of architecture is that it tries to animate matter thus suggesting that we can enter in a productive relationship with it. And that, you know, between the the world of inanimate object and us, there are secret connection, etc., that we may be partially made of this inanimate world that surrounds us. At the same time, if architecture goes too far in the realm of animation, it's like a transgression. It's as if, you know, architecture was usurpating a power that should belong only to the gods. So animation in architecture was always supposed to be incomplete. I think one of the uh, part of the contrary vertigo may have to do with the fact that for the first time, through things like uh, immersive environment, et cetera, you know, responsive environment, artificial intelligence, et cetera, we may be on the brink of, uh, you know, fully-fledged animation. But do we really want our buildings to be animated is, uh, is a question. You know, we may be sometimes irritated when objects becomes too intrusive in our lives. So what about buildings? So that's a set of questions we have today with this question of animation. Hmm. Perhaps one thing I'd like to add is what architecture does is not only to suggest, or, you know, materiality is not only a relation between the human and the material world. It's also something that is telling you something about yourself. In some ways, for me, architecture, and, you know, if you think a little bit, what does it mean to inhabit? To inhabit is to be in connection with walls, ceilings, windows, etc., etc., and to feel yourself through this relation with your surrounding, material surrounding. And for me, architecture is something that has to do both with the way we experience the world and the way we understand ourselves as subjects we inhabit. And so you bring up the idea of, you know, how we interact with it, how we observe. And so, again, now kind of going back to the beginning, you make the case that uh, we have somewhat, we do live in somewhat of an, I'll, I'll quote you, I believe you call it a distracted state. And so the idea that uh, maybe more than ever, people are sort of ignoring architecture. You, I think you have the anecdote, you know, the average person walks around the street with their phone. They probably don't even look at any of the buildings they're walking by. Yes, I think that's the one of the paradoxes of architecture is that it's both one of the most powerful uh, form of FF expression, call it an art if you want, and at the same time something that is very often perceived in a in uh, with a sort of distraction. So, and the two coexist, and this is this may be strange. By the way, the distraction was already noted by Walter Benjamin in one right. of his texts, seminal text. So, but I think it has to do with the fact that architecture whispers 
to us. It whispers something about who we are through, you know, the sometimes distracted way in which we perceive our surroundings. But, uh, but actually whispering may be sometimes more powerful than, you know, more blatant form of expression. And so speaking of expression, again, I'm going to move into a different chapter. Uh, a point you made earlier that I, that was interesting to me, especially when I read it, was the idea of, you know, art, you even said architecture and language. And so I think you call it a dual gap. The idea that, uh, and I think I'm, this won't be a direct quote, buildings are inaccessible to text and vice versa. Now, see, that's very interesting to me because I do interview architectural authors almost every week. And there is somewhat of a challenge in trying to write about something or to see something through text. And so, you know, am I understanding that correctly, that you're saying that architecture has a challenge when it comes to language? Yeah, there is absolutely, there is a desire for language in architecture. You know, architecture is actually uh, a practice that, that always uses text. You know, architects write a lot. Actually, it's it's uh, architects. You know, architecture is something that it is very often connected to text. You know, take you know, great architects very often have these strong strong relations from Le Corbusier to Rem Kouras, for example. And at the same time, there must remain a difference between a building and a text. A building is not a text, just like an ornament is not uh, a word. There, uh, it's something different. So there is always this tension, which is constitutive of architecture, which is probably related to something more profound, which is the relation we have with the world of object. You know, I quote at some point a philosopher who says, you know, nothing may seem f- further from the human mind than inanimate object. But at the same time, what if these objects had a stronger connection with us than what we often suspect. And I think this is, for me, typically the case with architecture. Architecture may seem, again, something that, you know, piles up, you know, materials and and is profoundly inanimate. But actually, it has this very deep connection with who we are, uh, who we believe we are. And this is, again, why inhabiting is so crucial in the definition of ourselves. Absolutely. And so now towards the kind of the conclusion of the book, you had mentioned, you know, how crucial the buildings can be. And so you raised the question, you know, can architecture be political? And I think that's interesting because, I mean, there are there's always times when it kind of crops up, but it does seem lately that politics has been intersecting with architecture more than it ever has, at least in my opinion. And so, you know, the question I have for you is, do you, do you feel that architecture can be political or is it something that you were unclear of yourself? Uh, that's a complicated question. And the last, <laughs> okay, two things. There evidently, you know, there are designs which are political because they follow a very strict agenda. Somebody who designed right. a concentration camp is doing politics very directly. Now, these are extreme forms, and I don't believe, and, you know, you could also say that, you know, uh, architecture, because it follows uses, is always connected in a way or another to political belief practices, etc., etc. 
That's one thing. For me, there is a deeper way for architecture to be political, which relates to the construction of environment that suggests that human action have a meaning. So let me try to explain, which is for me more profound, closer to what architecture truly does, uh, which is in a way, you know, let, let me try to take an example. You know, imagine you're with, with a couple of friends, you enter in a theater, which is empty. And mm-hmm. one of you uh, gets on the stage. As soon as the person is on the stage, whatever he says, even a silly joke or whatever, takes a slightly different momentum because he or she is on the stage. So what architecture does is actually to literally stage human action and to suggest that they may have a meaning. And of course, architecture nudges towards certain ways to make sense of what humans do. But architecture is something that is flexible, just like a theater stage does not does very seldom tell you what the play is going to be. But it tells you that there should be a play. Do I make myself clear? Yeah, that's a, so, that's a great example. And I, I do know you mentioned that in the book as well. So anyone who reads it will get that same anecdote. Yeah, absolutely. Which is for me the idea that, you know, uh, there is a superficial way to be political for architecture, which is just, you know, to follow a program, for example, you know, a palace for a king, a church or a prison, whatever. Uh, or, you know, also use ornament just in order to convey, you know, a, sim- a discourse, you know, a symbolic discourse, etc. And there is a more profound way, which is actually to stage human action, to create what I right. call a decor, but in a positive sense of something that is immersive and tells human that there is a place for them and their action. And of course, anyone who is not familiar, you have another book that has a pretty similar subject, I believe. You can correct me if I'm wrong. The Politics of Architecture and Subjectivity. It's actually an article. It's an article um, and which is related, of course. Uh, oh, no, sorry. The book on ornament. Yes, the book on ornament yes. is connected, definitely. Actually, in the book of, on materiality, you know, structure, but also ornament are very present because ornament, first of all, is connected to matter. You know, ornament is usually matter exalted, showcased, etc. And ornament is also related to the desire to make sense and uh, and which goes beyond there again it goes beyond discourse you know in the last chapter of the book also i try to i i'm preposterous enough to criticize victor hugo victor hugo who famously compared the cathedral of the middle ages to books that people could read and i suggest that actually cathedrals were more like decor that's to say, you do not necessarily pay attention to all the details, but you know that they are supposed to convey a certain meaning. And I think architecture, and we go back to the distraction, architecture doesn't, it is not something you necessarily read like you read the book. It's something that right. permeates your perception of where you are, who you are, etc., and suggests 
a certain array of possible significations. Thank you. And so, you know, we talked about this book, we even talked about your past book. And so one question I always have is, you know, since the book's been published, what, what have you moved on to? You know, what project is taking up your time now? Okay, I have two projects, and I don't know which one will, uh, you know, be completed first. But one is very directly related to this book, which is actually I've been working for many, many years on a history of construction, basically from the 18th century to today. So on more generally a history of the relation between architecture and technology. So, which will start with, you know, uh, the uh, changes in 18th and 19th century construction at the time of industrialization and go up to the digital and beyond the digital, the challenges of sustainability, environmental crisis, etc. So that's the first project. And the second one, which is more related to another aspect of what I do, I'm also interested in the urban, in cities, is... Uh, actually an, an essay on cities, uh, technology, and politics. Uh, uh, sorry, cities, nature, technology, and politics. So one talks a lot today about cities and nature, and yes. I think it's a technological and also evidently a political question. So this is the second project. Yeah, great. Perhaps we'll uh, we'll talk again in the future when they come out then. With pleasure. <laughs> Well, so I want to thank you very much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Oh, anytime. And for our listeners, the book is The Materiality of Architecture. Thank you for listening and have a great day.